This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Rumya. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on-air community, and everyone's invited. We've made it to the Tuesday of this week, AMI Audio and your favorite podcast platform. I'm Rumya Amudin. I'm here with Kelly McDonald, and the question to kick things off... Love how we look forward to these questions. Did you ever have an elaborate? (laughs) By we, I mean me and the audience. Obviously, not you. Oh, of of course, the audience is all letting you know. You hear that? Oh yeah, I got messages now from 1,200 people saying yes, yes. yes. What is it? What is it? Okay, so did you ever have an elaborate skincare routine? You want to go first or second on this? I'll go first because I'm short. Uh, No. Okay. I mean, I would certainly have used my cocoa butter and different things like that, but I, you know, I, I, if you count putting some lotion on so to keep the dry skin away mm. and cologne, that's about it. Cologne but on your nothing, face? Skin? Uh, uh, when I think a, skincare, a, I'm thinking face, but I guess you yeah, can. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm thinking skincare. Okay. Skin, yeah. skin, True. All Moisturizer. Over. Okay. Right. So moisturizer, but yes, a, a, a little bit of cologne, a little, so you don't... Uh, counteract by drying yourself out with the cologne mm. uh, a little bit sprinkle here that's what i was All taught right. that's cool um i think i've gone through different phases of skincare, especially as a teenager when i had more acne and thinking like i gotta do this i gotta do that i never got necessary like medical advice necessarily but uh i went through you know because now you can find anyone with a skincare routine online, right? Somebody's got something right. to say, advice everywhere. Also, things being sold to you in packs. Like you go to get a, uh, let's say, a, um, a lotion or, or moisturizer right. for your skin. Right, everything they, else is there. Yes, they're like, okay, you can get this, but you can also get this pack for 30% off, which includes an eye cream and a, a serum of some sort and blah, blah, blah. And you know what I usually do? Because those come in tinier, smaller sample packs, like the eye cream and such. I just mm-hmm. empty it out and make travel size versions of my right. <laughs> my skincare, like my actual lotions. And, and do you take it away? Like, do you mm-hmm. have it there? That yeah. kind of thing. Um, I know, and you mentioned their acne. I know as, as a kid when I started shaving, um, I started with an electric razor. And as oh. a black gentleman, I'd get razor bumps under my neck. Right. So I think that would be the most care. I did have to tend to that, take care of that to try to cut that back. So I, uh, it just was not friendly because the, the razor would cause things to curl up. So I think that's the most skin care, mm-hmm. really watching with advice that I had to get. Yeah, I guess it's not necessarily surprising to know that people have such a uh, variety, a spectrum of skincare options, if you will, but it is interesting to go through people's routines if they so choose to share on social media to their 100,000 followers. Let's or see what's... on national television. <laughs> on national television. I didn't say anything about no brands, nothing. Let's see what's <laughs> coming up on today's edition of Kelly and Remia. What are the differences between these complicated tests like CT scans, MRIs, lots of medical lingo here. We're going to talk about it on our wellness segment with Francis Wong. We chat with co-founder Daniel Woodrow of the Underground Comedy Railroad Tour, which aims to create opportunities and introduce the voices of black Canadian comedians to new audiences abroad. It'll be fun. 
We have a guest on today's parenting segment with Lucia Belafonte, uh, and we're going to talk about, as an adult with a disability, how we can achieve our dreams. Looking forward to that in hour two. If you want to watch some interesting stuff, maybe some eyebrow-raising stuff, on CBC, a new CBC series will see 10 contestants vie to become the country's top amateur potter. Artist and educator Brendan Tang, one of the judges on the Great Canadian Pottery Throwdown, says he was blown away by the potter's creations. He says viewers will be drawn to watch the raw creativity in action at a time when more people are catching the pottery bug. It almost becomes like a meditation in motion or a flow state practice and I think you know, I think people really enjoy that, where the world just disappears and you're just trying to get your handle on a teapot. Doing wow. something with your hands. I like that meditation in motion. He's, he sounds he sounds like JJ, the way he speaks. Ah, oh, the description, um, yeah. Well, I like that too, seeing the freedom and the almost the meditation, the words, because I know when I've done pottery, that's where the head goes. Yep. It's hands at work, head, you're, you're in your space. Now, of course, you know, knitting, crocheting, all these kind of things, right, where you're just doing something with your hands, with your fingers, and uh, I guess able to focus on a menial task, I guess, uh, is a little bit different than this because you're you're competing. Hands down, I, that's a different Well, scenario. I guess, but I'm sure there, there's lots of knitting and competitions for things like that, too. Yeah. So in that yeah. same application, of course, but I, but I think the, the headspace is the same, though. Well, and this isn't the is everyday it? either, but... It, I think it's the same headspace that people get into because some of us who would watch them would say, man, they're watching TV and doing this thing. It's just second mm. nature. And yeah, maybe, but there's that space they're in that they know and that part of that zone. Or if they're sitting there quietly working, doesn't mean they're, okay, I've got to do this. You know, maybe the new new ones. Well, that's new fair. Potters, new knitters. I, I think it would be the same thing. If you're fighting for top 10 potter extraordinaire or whatever the heck they called it oh, in Canada. Oh, well, yeah, but that's like cooking or anything else. <laughs> exactly. There are a lot of people who are passive cookers, too, oh, right? I was going to say, yeah. Because they know it so well. Yeah, like, I love part. singing in my shower, but if it's Canadian Idol, it doesn't start feeling like meditation well, anymore. Exactly. What I will say about this, though, and I don't know how they'll put this together, and especially mm. uh, CBC's great with the audio description, but I would love to hear this live-time description. Because, yeah. no doubt, they'll film the people and their hands working and speed it up so they can be shown on TV as to the process, as to the growing. Um, I think, like he said, lifetime, it would be like really cool to watch those builds. Uh, exactly. And I want the description so badly because, you know, just feeling other people's uh, pottery creations is so interesting. And then to have some of this really, uh, obviously, top notch projects being described would be so cool. Yeah. It's an eight episode series and it is uh, filmed on Vancouver's Granville Island. It's featuring another potter with roots in the city. Seth Rogen is the guest judge, and he's also an executive producer on the show, if you're curious about that. It's premiering Thursday on CBC and, of course, streaming on CBC Gem. After the break, we have Ask a Vet with Dr. Danielle Jeankind, and she's going to talk about whether birds make good pets or not. We'll be right back. It's Kelly and Ramya. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back.
When we were talking about skincare earlier in the day with each other, Kels, you mentioned coconut oil. Did you um, put coconut oil in your hair? Was that something that yep. your family did? Yeah. Yeah, my family did. We we used the coconut oil, and uh, you know, it, it was it was it was always nice because I'd go to the barber, and it just seemed the thing to do. <laughs> That's the guy that used the electric steel afro comb too. Oh, when I had yeah. an afro, right? And the first wait, time he ever wait, used wait, it. Wait, wait, Electric steel afro comb? Yeah, he'd plug it in to heat it up. I right? didn't know and there were afro combs that were electric. Okay. Man, he scared me the first time. I didn't know, and he picked it up. I heard this click, and all of a sudden, there was heat on my forehead, hit my forehead, yeah. and I jumped because it was like he didn't say, oh, I'm going to you know, use this on you. He just forgot to tell me, oh the my. blind guy. Hey, here I come with this hot thing, and it's going to go right, and it went into my afro, ah! and, and the hair almost, it just stands Ooh, right up because yeah, it reacts yeah. to it just beautifully, right? Oh, after that, I loved it. I just, uh, <laughs> I've known of the, you know, the hair picks and some of that stuff just kind of stepped. Oh. You with the scalp if you're not careful, but yeah, lecture, you, are yeah. you referring to my mother? Be nice. It's her birthday. My late mother's birthday is tomorrow. Be nice okay. now. It's okay. One day we'll get into my mom's braiding my hair, feeling like uh, pulling the hair I right used out to of get, my head. I used to get the stand still. Stop it. Because yeah, <laughs> I didn't me. know you could bend that way. <laughs> me neither. Let's get into uh, Ask a Vet now, switch gears very quickly, and uh, talk to Dr. Danielle Donkind. Whether they provide us with companionship and income, food, or serve a critical role in the ecosystems that support us, animals are vital to human health. Have fun with us as we learn about animal-related topics and about the amazing bond we share with our animal friends. You know, we often hear birds start singing at dawn, in the summer at least, and we know some of them, some, steel french fries that we drop in the parking lot at mcdonald's or at the beach but what about birds as pets we want to find out if they make good pets or not if they can be trained or how they can be trained and so today the ask a vet conversation is for the birds <laughs> dr danielle john kind is here um danielle it's not as common to have a pet as a bird than to have furry pets like cats or dogs but why do people like my parents keep birds as pets all about <laughs> <laughs> well let me start with a bit of a disclaimer here so mm. i've never actually had a bird as a cage pet and i did not specialize in avian medicine but most of my personal experience with birds comes from growing up on a farm where we had chickens ducks geese and turkeys at various times while i was growing up and you know some of these birds really did become like pets for us you know um Having said that, of course, people keep birds for lots of reasons, and they can be fascinating and very entertaining. Um, certainly, they are beautiful to look at, but a lot of people don't realize that they can be far more than just these ornamental singers that stay in a cage. Mm. Um, you know, a well-socialized and trained bird can be very affectionate, like a dog or a cat. Um, birds are also smart, and they can be trained. Uh, they are funny. They play and do all kinds of things that we humans find very entertaining. So, you know, when you start learning about birds and, you know, interacting with birds and finding people who have birds, you, you start to realize, wow, you know, they're, they're fun. <laughs> they are. I uh, remember when I first started doing cane travel and getting around, I'd go down to the pet store in downtown London years ago at the market, and there they had a parrot. And I would go visit the parrot and talk to the parrot and just, uh, and people would say to me, gee, maybe that's the one animal you like. I'd say, well, sure I do. 
right here at the market, long as he stays here. There's no problem. Um, what's it? Oh, yeah, exactly. And then until they told me, get out. Oh, that's enough of a visit. All right, that's enough playing. Um, what should people think about before adopting a bird? Well, you know, just like any pet, you know, you, you really want to do your homework before adopting a bird. Um, birds can be noisy, you know, which might not work for people who live in apartments or who have lots of noise-sensitive neighbors. Um, birds can That's be That's why Ramya's you know? mom lives in the house. That's why I only visit once a week. Sorry. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> so that can be messy. <laughs> yeah, birds can be messy. You know, they they really love to pick things apart and they love to throw things on the floor. Um, <laughs> there can be difficult to house train, you know, which means that, you know, they can leave little presents behind them as they go through their day. They also give off a lot of dust and feather dander, and that can bother some people that have allergies. And, you know, another thing to think about, of course, is cost, especially if you plan to keep a larger bird, um, cages right. and Aviaries for some of these large birds can be quite expensive. Um, birds may also need veterinary care and have their beaks and nails trimmed. And they're social animals and will need you to spend lots of time with them. When you're not around, they'll also need a lot to do to keep them occupied. So when we consider that birds in the wild spend a lot of time foraging for food and kind of hanging out with their buddies and their family, you know, you'll soon see why you can't just really leave a bird alone in a cage all the time. Um, some other things to think about, you know, are longevity. Um, some birds live a long time. I mean, for some species, we're talking decades, you know, mm. and they don't always do well being shuffled from home to home. So that's something you might want to think about before you adopt one. Who, who's going to take your bird after you're gone? Or are they likely to outlive you? Um and another thing, of course, is safety. You know, while birds and other pets can learn to get along with other pets and sometimes even, you know, become buddies with other pets, um, that, you know, other pets can sometimes be dangerous to them, like cats, for example. Um, immunocompromised people might want to, you know, think about that too. There are some diseases that people can catch from them. And the last thing I think about is who you plan to adopt your bird from. You know, some of the exotic parrot species in particular are actually endangered in the wild. And, you know, for some of these, um, this could be due to habitat loss, but also the stealing of wild parrot babies for the pet trade can also play a role. So be sure that that's not where you're getting your bird from. There's so mm. much to consider. Wow. So much. Um how about care for birds? This obviously would be very different from our, you know, regular cat and dog talk. Yeah, well, in some ways, like like mm. other pets, of course, they need clean water and, you know, an easily cleaned water bottle, hopefully with a sipper tube is recommended. Um, keeping their cage at aviary and environment clean is also really important. Um, feeding them, you know, they're, they're commercial pelleted diets for birds that you know, kind of prevent them from picking out only what they like and leaving the rest behind. <laughs> um, but, you know, follow your avian vet's advice on what and how much to feed them. But, you know, most birds get a mix of pellets and vegetables with nuts, seeds, and fruits only used as treats. 
Uh, a lot of them need an opportunity to have a bath at least once or twice a week. So some of them like to just fluff around in a bowl. Some like to be misted with a spray bottle and others would even love to just uh, get a chance to join their people in the shower. <laughs> you know? So you just want to let your bird determine what they like best and how often they want to bathe and just make sure the house is warm enough so they don't get chilled. And I think another hmm. huge thing about caring for birds is that, you know, remember they need a lot to do when you're not around to socialize with them. So of course they'll spend some time preening and sleeping and, but when they need something to do, foraging is a really great way for your bird to keep occupied and meet its nutritional requirements at the same time. So there are lots of commercial bird toys available that require the bird to solve problems to get out their food. Nice. There's things like foraging perches, same sort of idea. And you can make inexpensive things for your bird to do too, like wrapping stuff in paper and they have to pick it apart to get at the food. Um, another idea is like a sandbox of bird safe items, like wooden buttons would be an example that a bird has to dig through to find their food. So you might have to show them how to do these things at first, but once they get onto it, it provides that mental stimulation, you know? So hey, birds, of course, wow. are also social creatures and they need to live in a human family and learn how to do that. Mm. Anything okay. on like nail care and beak care and things like that, Danielle, or does it really depend? It depends. And also, um, that would definitely be a question for your avian veterinarian. Mm. Um, there are a lot of different species out there and they all have, you know, slightly different requirements. So definitely that's something to, uh, to check with your vet about. Okay, I'm going to jump back to the social thing because, uh, you know, it sounds like so much is needed. However, I'm going to assume uh, there can be a little, like they're too little, which we can identify, maybe too much. How should we interact with our bird? Well, of course, we usually want an affectionate relationship with all of our pets, but we do have to be a right. little bit careful with birds, you know. Um, excessive time, you know, spent cuddling, perching on a shoulder and preening each other can suggest to your bird that maybe you're interested in becoming more like mates <laughs> rather than just being friends, and that can cause problems. So, you know, having your bird perching near you while you chat happily with them is social interaction, and so is training them to do tricks, to sing, to dance, to talk. You can also play with your bird and of course all birds should be trained to step up on your hand step down off your hand and stay on their perch okay and how do we train the birds well, of course, it follows the same principles that we use to train other animals. So rewarding the behaviors you want them to repeat and avoid rewarding problem behaviors. Uh, of course, like other animals, birds do not respond well to negative reinforcement. So while you may have to let them know they messed up with a firm no, you should never punish them. Now, I have to share an extremely funny story about training birds that I found on CBC News. Um, there's a place in the UK called Lincolnshire Wildlife Park in England, and that takes in these birds needing a home and you know some of the birds that come in there come from these private homes and they've been trained to talk in some shall we say colorful <laughs> language uh -huh. oh and oh since yes so of course since this park is a public one and there are small children that come to visit the staff have historically kept the birds that swear like sailors out of the public display <laughs> And their thought was that without people laughing and reinforcing this swearing behavior and, and not reacting to it, that the birds would become far more polite. Yeah, but right. Apparently 
Yeah, so apparently they are better, though they still drop the occasional colorful word. But now that the park staff are taking a big risk and they've moved their eight really foul-mouthed birds, pardon the pun, <laughs> into a public enclosure with 92 polite ones. And so they were telling this story about this lady who had dropped off a bird for surrender, and she had, I guess, a problem with um, blaming her husband that the bird was swearing, that it was his fault, that he had taught the bird this. And then the bird began to swear in her voice, and so she was, like, <laughs> totally embarrassed. Oh my gosh, that beats um, AI all to death when you snitch. say in her voice. Yes. <laughs> no, but it's true. They don't just pick up the words, they pick up the oh, tonal. No. You can absolutely yeah, because it's part tell. of it, isn't it? Yes. yes. It's full imitation. Oh. That's, That's really <laughs> she incredible. She can't get out of this one. But that is crazy to put <laughs> them in with the ones witness. that don't swear. Ooh, that, that yeah. is nuts. Yeah, I love this. It's like, well, let's hope that the bad birds learn from the good birds. Wow. <laughs> yes. I think that was the thought. You yeah. know, maybe that, you know, they'll become more polite rather than the, the polite <laughs> ones becoming more colorful. I highly doubt it. Amazing. It's amazing how birds are so much like humans. I was going to um. say, it's just not how it works. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. I thought that was a great story. <laughs> oh, that's a fantastic Perfect. story. Also, like, not to mention, just going and watching parrot videos is so entertaining. Danielle, thank you. And mine are birds. You are so welcome. Yeah, mine is too. Yeah, they're cool. Dr. Danielle Johnkind joins us weekly for Ask a Veterinarian. We cover all kinds of topics remaining to or relating to animals. After the break, we're getting into some medical breakdown conversation. What are the differences, for example, between CT scans and MRIs? These complicated tests can be very overwhelming. So uh, we are going to chat with Frances Wong. She's going to break down the concepts for us. We'll be right back. This is Kelly and Ramia. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. It's Kelly and Ramya. Thanks for tuning in. We're here two hours a day, every weekday, with a variety of conversation. You can check us out on AMI-tv, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, live, or 4 p.m. Eastern Time for the first airing on AMI-audio, and of course, whenever you want, on demand, on your favorite podcast platform. I'm Ramya Amadan with Kelly McDonald. Time to step into the world as we get into a conversation involving uh, health and wellness with Francis Wong. Hello, I'm Frances Wong, and I invite you to join me as we explore topics of health and wellness so that you can make the best choices for you to live an informed and radiant life. Yeah, I remember telling my new doctor, well, not so new now, when she said, what would make you more comfortable to come to the doctor? Because people get into this, oh, yeah, I know I got to go, I got to go and putting it off. And I said, just, you know, honest conversation and you know, just feeling comfortable, not so intimidated. So good luck figuring that out. But, you know, as far as I know, nobody I know really likes to go to the doctor, whether it's for reasons like that or, of course, maybe not hearing something you want to hear about. But sometimes doctor appointments cannot be avoided. If you've been in an accident or if there's something bothering us that we can't pinpoint, like a rash on our skin, let's say, we may be told that we need some sort of scan to see if we can diagnose the situation better. Now, this brings us to the topic, Francis, 
of CT scans and MRIs. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you, Kelly? Awesome. Glad to have you with us today and getting into this very interesting discussion. Um, I'm curious, Francis, what brought us to the table here with this talk? Actually, um, today's chat is around the theme of self-love and self-care since mm. Valentine's Day is just around the corner. And this came up actually for me because I've had a really long-standing shoulder issue, probably from a childhood injury that I decided that I really needed to look into. And I'd already done physio and other things over the years that didn't, that didn't really seem to help it. So that's how we got to today. Wow. Mm. That's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. And for our listeners, can you explain the difference then? Because you're talking about these tests that you got to do imaging to help understand what happened with your shoulder. The difference between CT scans and MRIs and what they're used for. Yes, so let's start with CT scans or CAT scans. CT stands for computed tomography and CAT scan, scan stands for computerized axial tomography. So they're similar to an x-ray but go further than that by combining x-rays with computer technology. So we're able to get detailed images of the inside of the body, including bones, muscles, fat, organs, and blood vessels. CT scans can also be done in preparation for surgeries, and sometimes they may use contrast dyes so that it's easier to locate abnormalities. All right, that's great. Um, I'm kind of curious, uh, when we look at things, what does it look like? And we look at the differences between CT scan and you know uh, MRIs, MRIs, what they're really used yeah. for. Right, so MR stands for Magnetic Resonance Imaging, and it's also used to create detailed images of organs and tissues in the body. One of the main differences that it differs from CT scans is that it doesn't rely on x-rays. Instead, it's an interesting technique that uses a magnetic field, as noted in the name of the procedure, and computer-generated radio waves to create those images. MRI machines are actually large magnets shaped into a tube that the patient slides into. I find it quite interesting as to how it works. So we're made up of billions of atoms and the human body is also mostly made up of water. So it's convenient that the MRI machine focuses on the hydrogen atom. Basically, these atoms randomly spin and go in many directions, but the magnetic field of the MRI machine forces these atoms to line up. So you have this radio frequency current that is then pulsed through the body and pushes the atoms out of the original position and then when the current is turned off the atoms return to their original position but while doing so the atoms will release the energy that they absorbed by their radio frequency pulses and in turn give off a signal which is then used to create those cross-sectional images of the body ah. so essentially the images that are taken are actually distributions of the hydrogen atoms in the body fluids present mm. I mean, it's good to know all this because up until this point, I just know that people are terrified of MRA machines and have and to really work And it's called the them. magnet. Yeah. <laughs> have to work themselves up to, um, to get into one of these. How does a doctor or a medical professional determine which type of procedure is the best one to use for this imaging? Yeah, so one of the benefits 
of using any of these procedures, whether it's an X-ray or CT scan or an MRI, is that they are not invasive. So you don't have to go in for surgery or a biopsy mm. to determine what the problem is. So if you, a doctor wants to get a closer look at the injury that you have, the type of imaging is going to depend on the type of injury that you have. For example, X-rays are great for problems with bones, um, X-rays are going to show you such things as dislocations and misalignments. They're quick to do and easily accessible. There are a lot of medical imaging centers that offer X-rays. However, um, it works um, by sending radiation through the body, and then any area with high levels of calcium, such as your bones and teeth, will block that radiation and show up as white on the image. Soft tissues don't block radiation, so they show up as a gray or black um, in the image. And then for this reason, if you have a soft tissue injury, it's likely not to show up on your x-ray, so your doctor will probably recommend a different procedure. One downside of x-rays is that the image is only in 2D. Now, a doctor may recommend a CT scan to help diagnose disease or injury, um, especially internal injuries, for example, from a car accident or other types of trauma, where a CT scan can help reveal internal injuries or internal bleeding. Because the CT scan can show nearly all parts of the body, it can also be used to help plan medical, surgical, or radiation mm. treatment. So sometimes okay. it's used to monitor effectiveness of certain treatments, such as cancer treatment. So it's not just always done after an injury. It can also be kind of used sort of preventively in for planning for uh, treatment. Um, and then a doctor may recommend an MRI if the issue is related to the brain or spinal cord. MRIs are useful for diagnosing things such as strokes, tumors, brain injury from trauma, multiple sclerosis, and more. MRIs are also good for examining the heart and blood vessel. The MRI can show things such as the size and function of the heart's chambers, and even the thickness and the movement of the walls of the heart. That's pretty amazing Very if detailed. you think about it. Yeah. Because in yeah, in the old days, there wouldn't be a way to look at someone's heart until after they had died. Pretty much, um, yeah. And yeah. and then if there is damage or inflammation or blockages in blood vessels, this can show up as well. And then okay. MRIs, yeah, they cover a lot of the other organs like kidneys, livers, spleen, pancreas, ovaries, and prostate. So the use is quite wide ranging. Um, in my case, it was used for the purpose of looking at my shoulder joint. Um, since MRIs can show joint abnormalities due to repetitive injuries, torn cartilage, and ligaments. And sometimes they also uh, may recommend injecting a dye so that the contrast is clearer in the image. Mm -hmm. That's the same for CT scans as well. Right, yes. yeah, the, yes. they, the contrast, yeah. It's amazing um, when you think about these and how, how great, how many different things. I mean, obviously, one of the downsides, the cost of machines so that they're yes. not everywhere where they're really needed. What other pros and cons uh, are there of the CT scan or the MRI scan? Yeah, so everything has pros and cons, but when it comes yeah. to CT scans, the plus uh, is that the image will be better than an X-ray as you're supplementing it with computer technology. It's also pretty quick to do, maybe about 10 minutes, and it's relatively cheap. On the downside, the person is being exposed to radiation from the X-ray, so you really want to limit having to do a CT scan unless you really need to. So thinking about you don't really necessarily want to expose your brain to having that kind of radiation if possible. Mm. 
having done an MRI, I think that it's pretty amazing. One of the biggest pros, of course, is that there is no radiation exposure since x-rays are not being used, but the images can still be super clear and in 3D. One of the downsides um, is that it does take a lot longer to take these images, anywhere from half an hour to an hour, depending on what is being looked at. And the machine, surprisingly, can be loud, even when headphones are provided. It's really expensive, and because it's expensive, as you mentioned, uh, Kelly, it's not nearly accessible to everyone in the country just because you're not going to be able to find a machine just on any side street corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I kind of always I hear that and how much we celebrate, especially when there's donations or something that allow a, a community to get one because the hours and waiting, and sometimes in some places such as Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal, the big cities, you're going at one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock yes. in the morning to get these things. Oh gosh, yeah. And and you always hear it being a sports fan, you know, so and so is going to have an MRI, and you think, how the heck does he get one? Oh, he's part of the major league team. So right. you kind of see the little bit of. I don't want to say unfair, but when I hear of people, especially people dealing with cancer and things like that, and you just say, get them in there. Um, so it really something else. And uh, I think, so as a big guy, Francis, I'm going to add to your list, getting inside if you're claustrophobic in general, let alone if you're a bigger person, mm -hmm. that can be a bit of a challenge too, but they do what they can to mitigate that. Yes, that is that is definitely true. Yeah, I, um, I do wonder about the priorities, definitely. You know, with experience of family members who've needed uh, CAT scans as well as MRIs, but also just we have so many conversations about the medical system, right, and triaging and prioritizing. And definitely, you know, with the understanding of how expensive these machines are, but also with the understanding that so many people need it, not just as an initial thing or as a planning uh, for surgery, like you said, Francis, but also to keep track of things, right? Growing tumors, mm -hmm. shrinking tumors, like these are phases. Yeah, yeah, phases and stages yeah. that you constantly need to keep in touch. And so all you're really living with is the fear and the limbo until you get this images, right? And then you get the process after where somebody checks them out and then the appointments. So the waiting game feels so much longer without the access to this or immediate access to these um, uh, procedures. And, and machines. But Francis, as going back to your kind of intention around this, which started with your personal experience, how was it for you, your experience with the MRI? Yeah, so I found the process pretty straightforward. Um, the radiographer asked me multiple questions. Um, this is something that they do whenever anyone goes in. They just make sure that you're the right person, the right birth date, um, and then whether I had any body piercings or if I was wearing any jewelry or watches. Right. They give you this list of instructions beforehand, but of course, when you're about to get into the machine, they double check. Um, they also will ask if you have a pacemaker or if you've had any exposure to metal in your eyes from something mm -hmm. like metal or sheet metal work or well and mm -hmm. the reason that they ask these questions are uh, is because that magnetic field is so strong in the scanner that you can get injured when they're pulled towards that magnet. So the same goes for something that you might not even think about, sports underwear that may have that metallic anti-sync fiber like silver nanotechnology. Oh my. People have been known to get burns from wearing this type of fabric when it heats up. So, you know, you want to make sure that you're wearing only cotton. Um, and as far as, um, as you can tell from what I described, uh, MRIs are not suitable for everyone. So if you have a pacemaker, certain situations, you cannot do it. Um, I know that for certain imaging, um, they may ask you to fast or not drink at all for a few hours before the MRI. 
And I know, um, Kelly, you mentioned about being, you know, maybe claustrophobic. Um, if you have that, um, you can let the doctor know ahead of time so that they can give you an anti-anxiety medication before you oh. take um, the session so that it be to take before you go into the session. But other than the noise or the cold room, it was very, very cold. I didn't find it scary or anything. In fact, it's kind of almost embarrassing because I almost fell asleep during the session. Asleep. I was just wow. focusing Good. on my breathing. Yes. Um, and apparently it's something that's not a rare thing. Like people actually doze off uh, during their huh. sessions sometimes. So I did yeah, so that was my experience. No, it's just like a drilling sound when they when they move it. It's just the machine kind of moves. You're shifted along inside the machine, so yeah. you're kind of shifted in and out, uh, up and down a little bit. Um, and then you'll hear this like it's like a it almost sounds like a drilling tap 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 kind of sound. It's mm. like a really fast sound. I think it's when they're taking images, or I'm not sure what it is. Maybe the magnets doesn't hurt, so you don't need to worry about right, that. Right. It's just really really loud. Um, yeah, so it's just very, very loud and you, they, you need to kind of sometimes hold your breath so that they can take the image so things aren't moving around um, when they're taking the images. So they take many, right. many, many images. Yeah, yeah so my, that was wow. my experience. And yeah, and it turned out that my everything came back fine. So hey, well, I guess really falling good. asleep is better than being like, I'm out of here because there's people who <laughs> legit can't handle it and they who can't. left. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I fell asleep, Francis. Like you in the MRI machine, I was there doing a, a, stu a study for the University of Western Ontario, and I dozed off. But then I woke up and I got this terrible thought of, gee, it'd be terrible to be in this machine in the basement of this building if there was a big, massive earthquake. Oh, my gosh. And the building came down. Mine goes Man. to the worst. Yeah, it did, too. Francis, well, appreciate the topic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did, and have, have lived to do it again, and <laughs> probably will again. Francis Wong, appreciate it. Thank you. And Francis joins us bi-weekly to talk wellness opposite our nutrition segment with Julia Caranches. After the break, we're going to hopefully get into a conversation we wanted to last week. We're talking to co-founder Daniel Woodrow of the Underground Comedy Railroad Tour. This is uh, aiming to create opportunities and introduce the voices of black Canadian comedians to audiences abroad. We're really looking forward to what they got in store. We'll be right back. It's Kelly and Ramia. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. time when you hang out with us for two hours we get into a lot of different things and we like to keep you posted on things going on around the country in different ways as well like right now we're going to get into a conversation um that we very much look forward to in fact we started looking forward to it last week <laughs> so let's talk about it the underground comedy railroad tour this is an initiative that aims to create opportunities and introduce the voices of black canadian comedians to not only other Canadians but to uh, people around the world and so every year a new lineup of comedians is selected for their hilarious and uniquely Canadian comedic perspectives on everything from race to everyday life I love the sound of that this year's tour began earlier um, on February 3rd it began in Toronto and we're here with co-founder Daniel Woodrow to find out more about it Daniel nice to have you on Hey, thanks for having me. It's nice Finally. to be here. Finally, yeah. Yeah, I know. I heard that some people couldn't hear my voice last time. Exactly. <laughs> we had you. We just couldn't hear you. So what inspired um, the creation, all the way back, the creation of this comedy tour? 
Um, actually, well, so it started in 2012, and nice. uh, my business partner Rodney Ramsey, who I co-produced a tour with, uh, we were uh, like, there was a time we both had our own incidents uh, that led to this idea. We were booked on a show with just like one other black person, just randomly, and we're like, why doesn't this happen more often? Like, hmm. it's actually weird that I've not really got booked with a lot of black people. So. The concept of the tour came from that kind of like as in the concept of raising more opportunities across Canada mm -hmm. for black comedians to start and also just um, uh, just have a new kind of show. Okay, wow. great. Well, obviously That's really interesting that you say that because I've been in that involvement with theater. Uh, I'm in London, Ontario, and I remember uh, one, of, uh, one of the director producers in town wanted to put a show on and he needed several black people. And we ran into the same thing, going through the ranks of who in town was acting, who was in the community theater scene that was would be interested in doing a show that was black. And uh, so as you say that and you look around, you say, wow. I'm not used to this. So many or people, the few of us coming out, uh, which was impressive and started something really cool. Yeah. And it's one of those things, the more you see people that look like you doing a thing, the more that yeah, you're likely to give it a try, right? So, yeah, yes, sir. yeah. Representation. Um, let's take a listen to um, a bit of what this comedy tour will be like, and then we'll come back and chat with you. Good night, mate. <laughs> right? So I come up to her in like my least threatening voice. I'm just like, hi, may I help you? Great. What the hell is that? Why do you think I'm here? Oh, you like doing blackface, do you, Justin? Let's see how you like doing a whole month of blackface. <laughs> I went to Scotland. I've never seen so many broke white people in my life. Am I right? Am I, am I right? <laughs> Yeah! It's gonna get worse. Strip clubs have black lights all over the place. And so your counterfeit money starts glowing like, oh! Do not call audience members witches, Daniel. You do this every time. Oh, I love how it was like, it's gonna get worse. <laughs> <laughs> it did. <laughs> oh, that is awesome. Oh, my gosh. Okay, we're looking forward to this just based on that trailer. Okay, good That's to hear. Amazing. That's amazing, <laughs> Dan. I'm curious, listening to the trailer, and when we talked about the forming of this, going back and saying, hey, man, we, we need more. We need an outlet to get, to get comics out there. I know as a disabled person, when I dabbled a bit in stand-up comedy years ago, the question comes, hey, how much... Are you going to involve your disability? How much do you feel you need to do that? How much do you need to be the person that's kind of outreaching and, and wh whether you're doing it to make an audience comfortable with you or because you think, I'm that ambassador. H how do you guys kind of, at the comics, feel about that at this far in, in the sense of how much should be kind of due to, you know, culture and sometimes just the stuff you, you find funny and laugh at and observe? Um, is there more of a push just to the best comedy you've got out there in the way you want to well i think that the key thing is that we're comedians first and then we talk about the things that interest us right and then we're we're, we're black second so it's not necessarily like we're writing material that's specifically all black just for this tour it's mm. just like we all have our unique perspectives um even though our skin color is the same we all come from different backgrounds we're raised differently so it's just about the the variety and diversity of blackness in Canada that is yes. more like where the jokes come from so it's not like it's for everyone it's not it's 
it's not like an all black event what it is it's an no. event black, highlighting and showcasing black performers for, for well, and 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 how diverse that black community of canada is regardless yeah. like you said yeah beautiful um tell yeah, us about this year's tour what are you excited about how can people get involved who's being featured um, right, so you can go to the ComedyRailroad.com website to get more information. Uh, this year, uh, we're really excited. We did the Toronto show. We had really amazing shows. I'm really happy how that went. Where'd you guys uh, perform? At, uh, at Comedy Bar. We did nice. two shows at Comedy Bar uh, in the main room, and they were amazing. And we, uh, we'll be going to Halifax this weekend. Uh, we're doing shows there at this uh, venue called Pigford and Black. We're doing two shows. This is our second time in Halifax. We're really excited. Uh, you know, we're doing also Montreal, Ottawa. We're doing Vancouver, and we have a couple of university shows in between. And uh, this this year, we um, last year we tried to tour with a little too many members. We went on tour with seven members, which is very very extreme. Good luck finding an Airbnb. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, it's about the accommodations. Okay. Yeah, yeah I forgot I don't own a bus. And <laughs> uh, yeah so we trimmed it down a bit we have like four members this year uh that are the main tour members myself rodney ramsey keisha brownie and tamara siobhan and then what we like to do is get local uh openers to come uh -huh. and do these shows because a lot of times maybe they don't have an opportunity to perform on the bigger stages like in ottawa we're at the national arts center which is a really prestigious venue and and mm -hmm. like not a lot of people get a chance to perform there so yeah. that's something we like to oh, do no. as well keisha brown yeah. is hilarious i've seen her live like twice it's super funny it's, it's, what's actually hilarious is she just tried calling me about 30 seconds ago <laughs> i heard oh, that i heard the call she called yeah, through yeah. that you're not disturbed that means she called it's twice it's important yeah. too bad you Take couldn't answer call, bring Daniel. her right on get her on here with <laughs> I know, us right I should have. Oh, I my goodness to... She is oh, so funny. That's awesome. Okay. I, I love this. The, and I'm curious of highlights because you're going to so many different places, the different feels, but also just that getting those other acts up there too the, to join you guys. Any other highlights we should look forward to while you guys tour? Um, well, I'm, I'm not sure. I guess uh, I guess um, we'll be doing a couple universities as well. We're at um, Fanshawe oh, yeah. University in London. All uh, right. Dr. John Abbott College in Montreal, as well as Dawson. So if you go to any of those, or maybe you could spread the word. I, I do believe the Fanshawe one in London is open to the public. Um, nice. But uh, so that'll be fun. That's always something we like to do every year. And uh, other than that, uh, on our Instagram, the uh, Comedy Railroad, we do post like tour clips and highlights and stuff like that. So if you want to see more behind the scenes views, we like to do that for people as well. Mm. So, Daniel, I'm sure that like every year you guys do this, the intention, if not changes, feels a little different, right? Like the, the thing that you went in hoping for last year may not be what it is that you're hoping for this year. And as you said, you're comics first, so you want to uh, get a full crowd and, and have people laugh and really engage with you. But what else, like what else feels different for you around this tour versus last year? Uh, well, so far as the weather, uh, <laughs> when we went to <laughs> last year, it was on record some of the coldest days in right. history, uh, and that is a strange feeling. Uh, so that uh, the weather has been a lot better. It's obviously a little bit difficult in the um, winter to tour across Canada, but uh, uh, on a different level, we're kind of going back to these places we haven't frequently visited, like Vancouver. This is our first time in several years bringing the tour, so we're really excited to like 
kind of go out there where something like there isn't quite as much uh, blackness and like black culture that mm -hmm. is prevalent. So I think this will be really exciting for people there and, and as well for us. Yeah. Yeah. I'm being a Londoner, I think it'll go off really well here too, but I, I hear you. And every year it must be so interesting to look at the map and say, Hey, where are we going to go? And hopefully the only place you'll really deal with a lot of snow is Halifax this weekend. Yeah, so, and I'm praying, I'm praying the snow's done. Oh my done. gosh. Yeah, hopefully they've moved enough it's so you can get in there and at least get an audience. <laughs> yeah, just get an audience. And hopefully that's all you'll see, maybe a little uh, wetness in Vancouver. So when we look at the social justice part of it, how, how much is stand-up comedy important to it? I mean, I think it's very important because it's a lot, it, like, comedians are offered an opportunity to share their perspective in a way that isn't, like, being shoved down your throat. Like, humor right. is a really good way yeah. to spread information. Yes. Uh, so... Like for me as a comic, I'm not necessarily the kind of person that is like preachy, but it, it it's nice that you can bring up a point and say it in a funny way, and people might go home and go, yeah, that's true. I never really thought about that. So in in a way, we're in a good opportunity to raise good points without people being like, whoa, whoa, I don't want to talk about right. that. Right. So because you're not prefacing it like I'm trying to be informative here. You that's know, right. It's almost at the end I of the joke when you realize, oh, that was the topic. I really noticed that during the pandemic when it first started, people were really turning to like whatever comedy shows were yep. still open or just briefly after the pandemic, there was such a surge in comedy because I feel like people needed a debrief of what just happened. And comedians are a really good way, uh, a really good people to summarize really tragic things and make mm. them fun and digestible. Yeah, and, and allow you to laugh kind of and, and give yourself permission to laugh while saying, oh gosh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was awful. Let's laugh about it. Yeah, um, there are a lot of comics, you know, big ones, getting a lot of heat for different things now. It's 2024. Um, is there anything you find to be difficult and challenging to be a stand-up comedian now to get yourself out there? Um, I guess it depends the type of comedian you are. Uh, for me, I I don't really say anything too, like, I think overly, the t overly offensive over mm. the top. I, I do like to push some buttons, but I think maybe... Some people get offended for other people and don't really realize that, you know, sometimes when you relate to something or a topic, like, uh, I guess the best way I could say it is maybe when I perform a black joke to an audience with a lot of white people, they mm. feel offended. Yeah. Uh, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not exactly yeah. sure why they do, but then when I remind them that uh, I'm making the joke, it usually yeah. eases tension. So right. sometimes like that, people yeah. are a little used to being like, oh, I can't laugh at that at work. That's it. Laugh at that yeah. here. But yeah. for the most part, I don't think it truly affects real, well-written comedy. Yeah, mm -hmm. or people who are there with the intention of wanting to laugh anyway. Well, exactly. It's a challenge. Um, tell us real quick, Daniel, just about each one. How, sum up each one of the performers that we will see at all these shows, the four of you that are the main core. What, what would one say about each one of them when you're asked, tell us about you guys, and we got about a minute and a bit. It's, I would say that everybody is individually as funny on stage as they're off stage. It's the best time of the year just traveling with them. Nice. I would consider nice. them all friends. Rodney Ramsey is like a, a parent of two, so he has a very unique perspective in his stand-up. Uh, Keisha Brownie, uh, she's more of our wild card. We never know what, what she's <laughs> going to say or do, and we love her for that. And Tamara Siobhan, she's worked a million jobs and done a million different things so her life story is very interesting and exciting to hear and uh, I guess I'm the chill guy that 
has a weird childhood so you know we all uh, okay. we, we complete each other like uh power rangers or some sort of transformer <laughs> fantastic awesome. knock luck, it out Daniel. of the park yeah thank you so much thank for coming you. back on with us appreciate the convo all the best thanks for taking the time i appreciate that okay take care Thank you. Daniel Woodrum is the co-founder of the Underground Railroad Comedy Tour, and this is on right now. Catch a location near you, because it sounds like a lot of fun. In the next hour of Kelly and Remia, we have our parenting chat with Lucia Belafonte and her special guest. Uh, we're talking about adults with disabilities, how we can continue to achieve our dreams. Plus, scientists are calling for Category 6 hurricanes, and Grant Hardy is going to talk more about that on our headline segment. But up next, White Cane Week is officially um, happening. It's February, so Mathieu Rochette, our community reporter in Montreal, Quebec, is going to talk to us more about that. We will be right back. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. We're back and we're kicking off hour two of Kelly and Remia. It is February 6th, 2024. And Kelly McDonald, myself, Remia Amadan, we're holding down the fort for you. Another hour of fantastic conversations. Kels, what do we have next? Well, it's time to visit with one of our community reporters. We enjoy this because we do this Monday, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. We find out what's happening around Canada via our community reporters. Their communities, they share with us once a month when they join us on the show. Today, from Montreal, Mathieu Rochette joins us. Montreal Canadian fan. Good day. Welcome oh. back. Hey, Kelly. Hi, Romia. Hello. Very inconvenient doing this on, re on, the, on my phone, but some Zoom issue. Our good Updates. friend Zoom. Internet. Updates. As soon as you put it on, and you, oh, you have something to do, bang, 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 come the updates. My friend, always with good topics to uh, on the program. I'll leave you alone about being the Montreal Canadiens fan. We won't start yeah, there. You just topic. slid straight past yeah. that. That's yeah, good. Let's skip, the, let's skip to what I'm going to call topic number two because we would have taken a lot, you know, wow. you defending that team okay. and Ramya being here as a non-fan of a any timer. sport. <laughs> you exactly. right this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you and your Austin um, Matthews might score 70 goals according oh, to the highest statistic. Uh -huh. we'll, you know what we'll, it sounds like we'll as he grumbles how, like how much that? You're laughing about two years. Well, yeah, it's not, it doesn't mean it helped him like, get to the Stanley Cup. But, Rum, doesn't he sound like the parrot getting into the swearing on you? I don't know. I don't even know what he's talking about. Just carry on with topic two, please. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Matthew, let's get started on what you've got here. So we've got a new, uh, we've got a lot of stuff going on here, um, launching of a new website and things like that. Let's let's begin here. Where are we talking about and who? All right. So this is the Association Québécoise de Joueurs Handicapés Visuels du Québec. They are launching the new accessible and 100 accessible, believe me, it's 100% accessible website. Nice. So I spoke about them, I think it was a year or two ago that they were like pretty much a lot of the different associations quite quiet for a while during the pandemic and stuff. And last year, they, uh, yeah, they come back really like, okay, we need to, we need to do something with our association. So they, as the name says, they provided chess for blind people in Quebec, all across the province. And this year, there was a really 
really busy year. One of the goal was to put back yes, the tournament and stuff, but also provided chess classes, um, which is to build it right do. to build it for everyone kind yeah. of thing to get people Ex interested and involved. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And one of the main things, like, okay, great, we have histories, we have. Uh, biography, we have a lot of information, and now we have chess class, but we need to have something great to to share all those activities and sessions. So they come up with the ideas like, okay, let's re let's shut down the entire website and rebuild it entire like zero to yeah, they literally shut it down entirely. <laughs> so now they're welcome <laughs> to launch the new website on this special Viking week. Um, look, guys, there's so many informations that they are free and available there for everyone who just have a curiosity on what's going on with chess in Quebec mm -hmm. today and also yesterday. And definitely there's a lot of stuff going on right now for tomorrow. Like I said, there's already a few uh, recording tape in audio tape for the, the, the for on six last chess session happen every two weeks on Sunday morning. I can tell you in advance, there's going to have a lot more because they just signed up for a, new, uh, for a bunch of new classes also uh, on two new chess sessions, one on the opening zone and the other one will be for beginner, which is nice. I'm going to give the classes every Wednesday from uh, studying at the end of this current month. So I highly recommend you guys, you want to play chess, it's, it's the place to go. Believe me, it's built... Uh, by blind people, it's managed by blind people, um, so it's it's never going to have an issue with the accessibility. You just need to go at aqjahv.org. All informations are there. You want to become a member? It's just five dollars uh, a year, and uh, we're always looking for new member, voluntary guy. You, need, you want to participate <clears throat> on this, you're more than welcome, guys. And it doesn't matter where you are, right? Anyone around can, can join, no, long as you pay your five bucks. And you're teaching? Uh, yeah, I'm going to give the beginner chess yeah, teaching Excellent. class in, uh, Excellent. in about two weeks. Yeah. Wow. And so much stuff to for people to be able to listen to, to get better at the game and different levels and stuff like that. It sounds like a real happening place and get yourself into your lessons and then get into the Sunday, you know, Sunday uh, tournament and stuff like that with everyone. Right. Yeah, exactly. And guys, you mentioned something important, Kelly, right there. Like it's not only, like, yes, it's an organization in Quebec, but we have people in New Brunswick from Ontario uh vancouver there's people all across canada and we are the only yeah. association who's doing this so right we'll see in the future what's going to happen but i mean in canada chess never really be that much popular it's always like an underdog disciplines like even in the site uh population decided people but it's there it's there for a really long time and yeah they just want to stay there for a new for, for, yeah, for another 100 years, let's, say. let's start with that. Oh, so, wow. I mean, there's people all across Canada. Um, yes, okay, for now, it's not much in English, but doesn't mean it's not going to be eventually.
Okay. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. I cannot say everything right now, but yeah, there's a lot of well, stuff. Good, uh, good luck with it, man. <laughs> sounds good. It sounds like something that's needed, Matthew. It sounds beautiful. Good luck. Mm -hmm. uh, Matt's topic number two is White Cane Week. It's the first full week of February, which is every year when we celebrate White Cane Week. So what's going on in Montreal around this? Well, I mean, there's... Uh, when I write it down, I wanted to talk about this week. Obviously, there's a lot of activities all across uh, Quebec, Montreal, with, you know, readaptation centers, foundation for the blind, to give an example, CNIB. They're all doing something special. But I, I was, not that I did not want to talk about others, but I was like, you know what, there's something that we really talk about it during this current week. We're talking a lot because this week is about, you know, showing the white cane and tell others the how important that is. And at the, at the end, <clears throat> what is important is to show our, you know, us as a blind person, as everyone else, and be included in the society in general. And that it's one of the tools is to using a white cane to give us the opportunity to go point A to point B every day. Mm -hmm. There's one thing that um, I don't think we spoke about it many times. It's also in our community to use this extraordinary tool. That saved life. That's helped us in a way that for, for those who we use it every day, we understanding but when we are when we are losing our vision and you know right now you know Kelly I don't know your path when you lost or have, actually if you saw a bit before but there's always a moment when you progressively lost your vision you just don't want to admit it you don't want to uh -huh. use your white cane you don't want to uh -huh. use it because it says hey I'm blind I am not anymore independent i need this to do that i need to that says i am blind and i don't want it i don't accept it and and then this tool starting to be a barrier of your acceptation and uh yeah see we don't have much time left so i'll go fast <laughs> so guys i'm just gonna share a quick story who happened to me a really long time ago when i was exactly in that gray zone refusing to use my white cane because i was not accepting at the beginning my well my new the new way who i was which is now blind i remember as it was yesterday after my wake shift on a saturday evening i went back home and it was past midnight i was my vision at this point was sometimes i can see a bit more sometimes not but mainly, I just suppose I should just use my white cane every day, every time. That might be just so much easier. Uh, I was walking in the metro station, and someone asked me if I need help. And I says, like, hey, no, I don't need help. Why, why should I need help? I see. No, no worries. I'm fine. That was the first warning. A few minutes after, I guess I was lost thinking that was stairs, and when I fell down, I realized this steps was huge. It wasn't the steps 
it was the gate of the uh, the all with the, the trail tracks. So I I fell on the floor numb because I oh realized my. that was a whole oh nut. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just moved my left hand to figure out where I am. And when I do that, boom, touched the trail track. So the electricity went to my left side, crossed through my heart, and went out from my right hand. So lucky wasn't touched the trail track. Uh, I, I have no clue how long I stayed there, but I guess it was just like a couple seconds. Yeah. But somehow I was able to uh, stand up, yell loud, yeah. and someone like grab me my backpack. Help me how to get out of the <laughs> yeah the tunnel. The, the, the track. And then pit, I went yeah. to the hospital. Yeah, exactly, tracked it. Thanks. I stayed there for just 24 hours in the hospital. I was extremely lucky, maybe because I was an athlete back then, so I was in good shape. Maybe because I did not stay uh, an extra second too long. I have no clue, and at the end, it doesn't really matter. I'm still there. I am extremely lucky. Mm-hmm. But guys. That's one of the reasons why we should use the white cane. I know it's tough. Uh, when you're when first you starting off, right. Yeah. Right. But it can save your life. That was my story. I know it happened to others who doesn't speak loud because they feel shame about this kind of situation. But this is the reality. Help yourself. This is not a curse. It's a gift. So That's it. Yeah. Life goes on, and you can do so much, Matthew. Thank you for sharing, especially an experience like that, which unfortunately happens more than we'd ever want to admit or see happen. Yep. Hey, take care, guys. I'll talk to you next month. Thanks, pal. Sounds good. Uh, Matthew Rochette, one of our community reporters. He visits with us once a month here on Kelly and Rumya. We visit with our community reporters Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays on the show. We're switching things up and we're getting a bonus headlines in this week. Grant Hardy's here after the break to talk about scientists uh, calling for another, or sorry, a new Category 6 hurricane. We'll find out more after the break on Kelly and Remia. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Remia right around the corner. memo for you if you're living in the greater toronto area you have access now to the ontario one fair program uh, they're implementing this later this month starting february 26 2024 customers paying with a presto card presto and google wallet or a debit or credit card tap physical or one in a mobile app um, will be able to transfer for free between TTC and surrounding transit systems like the Brand- Brampton Transit, Durham Region Transit, Miway and York Region Transit. Also, if you're a TTC customer paying single ride fares connecting to and from Go Transit, you can benefit from a fare discount. So your TTC fare will be the one subsidized, uh, aka free. 
Uh, the program applies to youths, adults, post-secondary students, seniors, as well as TTC Fair Discount past customers, like CNIB customers. So if you want to learn more about the program, because there are a lot of details on how to tap on, how to tap off, I'm not going to uh, go through all that right now, but you can go to ttc.ca and find out more. It seems to be very exciting. Um, a lot of the... Um, government seems to be quite excited about offering this to people in the GTA. So let's get on it. Let's learn more and uh, get some discounts in. All right. It's Kelly and Ramia. And we, as I said before the break, are going to get into a bonus headlines with Grant Hardy. Grant joining us on a Tuesday to fill this spot. Usually we're talking to our friends from W. Ross McDonald at this time. But Grant, uh, we want to know what you're bringing to the table. How's it going? Thanks fine as come to the headlines segment i tackle everything from health and lifestyle to accessibility and tech i have it all right here on kelly and ramia my bad what the heck are you new here <laughs> my bad all right that's the formal introduction to grant and, and it sounded like grant was getting the hook for a he moment like are you kidding we're gonna play your audio be the quiet real me or the recorded me sorry grant okay usually uh, you, gave, you gave me an extra five minutes to you know shut or an extra five seconds to like shut my eyes you know take a little take nap, a nap like, a like an mri nap oh my god five five minute power i'm very uh, how many coffees uh, so far today grant Oh, not enough today so oh no wonder five, okay five, five, but he wasn't, you he wasn't prepared because mondays and wednesdays you'd be prepared with your 80 coffees or whatever but exactly. it's a tuesday exactly yeah, all right he doesn't uh, have enough juice <laughs> yo we're gonna get into transit a little later actually speaking of transit okay. uh first of all though just really quickly uh, as you tease before the break as climate change uh is a reality now no longer a theory but it is here uh Scientists are actually exploring uh, how to better communicate hurricane danger to the public, which may include adding an extra category of hurricanes to the commonly used scale. Can you believe that? So the current maximum on the uh, hurricane wind scale is category five. Uh -huh. Uh, and that's basically just open-ended to any storms greater than 252 kilometers per hour of wind however a new uh peer-reviewed study published in Envi environmental sciences this monday uh said that storm data between 1980 and 2021 found five storms that would have actually been classified as uh, a higher category on the scale uh if they added a category six uh and as the most of them are concentrated in the final nine years of that period so mid 2000s kind of and as mm. the uh, world continues to get hotter more moisture in the air it is going to be more fuel for hurricanes mm. and is likely to be a greater proportion of intense storms however wow that would require approval from the United States government, and they are not really in favor of that. They're saying more that we should just communicate individual hazards to people rather than uh, overemphasizing wind speed, quote-unquote. Mm. So it kind of makes me wonder, how can we best communicate about hurricane danger, especially for people in marginalized communities? Wow. Oh. Wow. Well, I'll be honest with you. I mean... I don't think there's anything wrong if it's the truth of the matter, Grant, and it's going to be 
the equivalent of a category six but i know when i wrestled in high school you went to 180 pounds and the rest was heavyweight after that it didn't matter if you were 800 pounds right so i don't think it it matters but i do think it matters i serve high wind likely to cause this kind of damage which again causing this kind of harm to human beings and and, and life so I yeah, do exactly. understand the value and the emphasis saying, hey, it's a Category 6. Well, we may not worry as much if all ships are out of the area that that storm's going to in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, where it not, might not necessarily do harm, but it could be in a position where some of the land far enough might get tidal waves. So it's a tidal wave mm -hmm. risk. Those kinds exactly. of things I think are important to know. So I do understand... At first, I was about to say, why is the U.S. holding out a... Ah, you know what? Maybe this makes sense. Yeah, I actually kind of dig your wrestling analogy because, I mean, at the point where they're a heavyweight athlete, I mean, they're going to flatten me in 0 0.5 seconds versus 0 0.4. It doesn't guess... matter their weight, right? You're going to exactly. be one, two, three, I'm done. Is, is it 0 0.5 seconds that they're going to flatten me or 0 0.4? And I think that's essentially it with the hurricane. Like, are you going to be taking extra precautions if it's six on the scale or five? Really, it's about just communicating those yeah. individual hazards and what people can do about it. Yeah. Uh, so you guys are kind of talking about transit. Wow, it's amazing. You guys have to maybe tap off where you live. That was a very... Uh, or go and stuff? Yeah, you do. That well, was, before. Uh, on. was a really oh. interesting issue here. And we actually do not have to tap off, which is uh, interesting. Although it also messes up their stats because they don't know where people are getting off. Mm. Uh, However, we did have a transit strike in January, which coincided along with some pretty crappy weather days as well. Uh, and, and it turns out that with uh, transit, the amount of people who use it to get to work grew from 11% two decades ago to 15% in 2021, according to data analyzed by the uh, uh, from the census data. But what's also interesting, which we could have guessed, is that reliance on transit goes up as workers' salaries go down. Uh, and so it talks about a lot of very supportive employers helping people get to work, whether that's you know free taxi vouchers or uh, in the case of care aides and other people who look after seniors uh, that could have that sometimes involved using buses that are used to transport seniors to events uh, or even the employer driving people to work mm. uh, to visit seniors who were very stressed out and uncertain by the strike so essentially what they're asking is should transit be made an essential service? And I tend to personally think workers 100% have the right to go on strike. And I'm not even saying it should be them in particular that has to drive the transit. But I do think that somehow, some way, the government should make access to transit, especially for people with special needs, seniors, essential workers, maybe even everyone, essential. However they do it, whether it's rebates on taxis, uh, I mean, I don't see that happening, whether it's supervisors dr driving the transit, however they do it, it's really essential to have that. When you say essential, you're talking about making it free for the public, making, the general no, Making public? it an, an no, essential service. Oh, okay, like okay, just in terms of strikes then. All right, right. I got you. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, yeah, it's tough because there's so much trickle effect. There's, as you said, right, what does this mean for the people working at transit? It could mean a huge shift in what an employee of any kind of public transit um, is expected of, number one. And then in Toronto, because I can't necessarily speak to other specialized transits around the country, but in Toronto, TTC, a.k.a. public transit, covers... Um, specialized service for people with disabilities and seniors, right? That's called wheel trans here. And you get door-to-door -door service majority of the time. So then it affects uh, the taxi services and companies associated with that side of things. It, it, because you're, you have collaborations and partnerships, not just working under TTC as a TTC employee. So I'm thinking, then how would that work, right? Like, there's just so much... If you have a good transit system, I'm just loosely using the word good, um, then you have these partnerships, you have these collaborations, because it takes a lot to run something efficiently like this. You need to have a bunch of coordination. But then how would this so, be affected? Yeah, so I think one potential issue is that not everyone qualifies for access 100%. Um, 100%. And especially the people who don't are the people who maybe aren't making a lot of money, the people who are also doing essential work. Uh, not only that, but I mean, we have all the stuff we don't have to probably rehash again, but scheduling in advance yes. and taking a longer. Uh, I, Payment. Yeah, it's a tough one. Exactly. It's deal? a tough one because you don't want to infringe on people's rights that need to go on strike. I do, however, think somehow, some way, transportation should be an essential service that cannot just be shut down, mm -hmm. except in the case Yeah, this yeah. is one of the ones I've had a real pet peeve. I've watched it. I've lived through it here in London when the transit went on strike. I think it is an essential service, just like the fire it and is. police. I Even don't if it's think not, we should. treat it like it is. Well, and it affects exactly. too many people otherwise, but but... On the other hand, I understand the union, the strength of union, and there has to be a way to ensure these folks are protected so they can speak out, but also annual raises and, and mechanisms have to be put in. It. We have to bite the bullet and, and meet them halfway. If we don't want them striking, right. we have to accept as a society that needs them that you're going to be paying that little more that you're not going to understand that maybe oh, yeah. they have certain rights that others don't as the police fire and that. You have to because these people are out there jeopardizing them and going against the policy. If they, hey, we need a little of this and that. Well, you can't strike. Okay. Yeah. They have exactly. to be able to have a mechanism. And um, just one more thing to add in there, too, is oftentimes we, we talk about this, you know, bigger picture scenario, like, let's make this an essential service. Okay, cool. But, you know, have we worked out the details of what that feels like and sounds like and pay and negotiation, all this stuff beforehand? Because that stuff takes forever to implement. Like, we in Toronto took forever just to get on board with Presto and using Presto. Now it's normal, but the amount of time it actually took to make Presto the, you know, baseline uh, was years. Yeah. yeah and I think question. most of it is because it's so hard and it's just, you can't, it's the blanket statement as we talked about, oh, well, this good, this is good for everyone. No, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> not necessarily for everybody Trial and every periods. resource. Exactly. Who's going to be able to manage this and who isn't um, when it comes to this stuff? Uh, yeah. Grant, we have about a minute. Yeah, uh, we have an intriguing uh, our, uh, topic related to AI. I don't think we quite have time for it today. I think this might be a good uh, yeah. point to wrap. Uh, but yes, absolutely. In terms of working out those essential service protocols for transit, uh, I think it would just end up being like the, uh, you know, 
people working at a hospital, for instance, or mm. you know, those other essential services uh, where you would just have to maybe not even have a more limited service. They don't really do that in hospitals. That wouldn't work. But no, you know, have but... have some people spend part of their time picketing while other people are working and still doing mm. all that. Yeah, it, well. it, it's the danger, right? It's the danger it could put in. You know, even you take buses off between 11 a.m. and, and 2, 2 p.m. So people still can get there for rush hour and you're not stopping people at nighttime from being able to, you know, where they have to walk in the dark. Uh, you know, at a time when it may not be a good idea. And because that's where you do get into putting people in jeopardy. That's actually a brilliant idea. I hadn't even ever thought of that. But yes, exactly. Keep to prime hours or, or whatever those are. Guys, always fantastic to come on and talk about all this cool stuff with you. Yeah, Thanks, very thought-provoking. Thank you. Thank you. Grant Hardy joins us on headlines, usually Monday and Wednesday, and when I'm not getting thrown off, on a Tuesday as well. <laughs> uh, on the first Tuesday of every month, we like to check in with our friend Lucia Belafonte for a parenting chat. Today, she's bringing on a guest, and we're talking about uh, being adults with disabilities and continuing to feel motivated to achieve our dreams. We'll be back with that on Kelly and Ramia. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. still hanging out with you. It's the Tuesday edition of Kelly and Rumia, found on AMI-TV, AMI-audio, and your favorite podcast platform. I'm Rumia Umadhan with Kelly McDonald. Thanks for tuning in. Boy, we got a great parenting talk ahead for you, ladies and gentlemen, as we bring on Lucila Belafonte, and we do this once a month on the program. Are you ready to learn, laugh, and maybe even cry a little? Join me, Lucia Belafonte, as we explore how disability can affect your parenting journey. I'll share advice and stories to help you grow in confidence and courage. Lucia, her guest, we're today going to be talking about how an adult with a disability, you can achieve your dreams, Lucia. We are. Hi, I'm so excited to have Maria Cabral join us today. And, you know, for those of you out there, if you think that today's discussion really isn't related to parenting, I'm going to ask you to please keep an open mind and see where you can fit it in to your parenting journey, because I really believe it definitely is related mm. to parenting. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so Lucia, tell us why Maria is joining us today. Well, Maria is here really, truly to inspire our audience to dream and take action. Um, she is a mother living with Parkinson's disease. She's also someone who has recently fulfilled a lifelong dream. And she's done this through the support and by using adaptive strategies. So I'm going to ask Maria, will you please share a little bit about yourself with our audience today and let us know what dream you actually fulfilled. My name is Maria Cabral. I, um, I'm 66 years old. I immigrated from Portugal when I was 19, so a long time ago. And I was diagnosed with Parkinson in 2011. Um, my dream 
that I just fulfilled was to write my memoirs, uh, write my biography, which the motivation to help animals with the proceeds of such book and the objective, the motivation leads to my objective, which is help animals and the objective motivates me to uh, pursue my dream. Thank you. I, Can you uh, explain and let us know, Maria, what exactly did you mean by like help animals? Uh, help animals is uh, something that it's been with me since uh, I was a child because my mother in Portugal gave shelter, food and shelter to any animal who needed, no exceptions, mm -hmm. open door. So I grew up on that environment. And when I came to make the decision to share my memoirs or not, that was due to a very special cat, my miracle cat, Leopardo, that helped me to face the traumas of my past by his unconditional love facilitating me to face it, bring it to the surface, surface of the subconscious, to the level of the conscious and face it. So I owe it to my, my mother, I owe it to Leopardo, and when I say help animals, um, it means from the few cats that I have to the few cats that I take in for different reasons, because they are too old, because the owners cannot take care of them anymore, to my ultimate dream at this point, which is I'm looking for a property where I can build with the help of uh, organization, animal organization, he'll build an animal sanctuary. And I feel very good about that. It gives my life a purpose, like I said, an objective, a motivation mm -hmm. to, to go on. That's so exciting. Thank you for sharing, Maria. You know, I wanted you to talk a little bit about um, the first reaction you had, if you don't mind sharing this with our audience. When the idea of writing your book came to you. I know you've shared this with me, but please share with the audience. What was your first reaction? Uh, the first reaction was that it seemed such an impossible, uh, an impossible project because right. of the limitations that come with Parkinson. Mm. And I'm happy to share that. And you know this better than anybody that what I've done is I created a support system that mm -hmm. to perform the tasks that I could not perform. So I got myself in this case, I got you as mm. a coach, a coach with several names, uh, several, several tasks. So you, you pursued and completed what I could complete about the book. Right. Mm -hmm. And how about the other people in your life? or any other accommodations that you implemented to help you realize that you could achieve your dream? Okay, for the writing of the book specifically, I got, I did a, we did a combination of when I record, when I could not scribe, I would record the parts of the book and you put it in paper. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a support system from my friends that have been very encouraging because they feel that they're part of the project. So they support me from 
giving me a ride which I cannot do myself now, uh, to saving me from drowning in thousands of emails, uh, the, the support or just purely supporting me emotionally to, to move on. That's been very gratifying. I love that. It sounds as though, you know, when we're going through something, the support of friends and families and perhaps sometimes even a change in roles is really important to help us nurture those dreams and fulfill them. Yes. Yeah, it's, I, it's, I love that. And it, it works in a way that now it helps me to accept Parkinson. Mm. Because one of the biggest challenges was my mind is vivid. I still have the ability to dream like I always had and mm. plan big projects like I always had. But my body became very disobedient. It doesn't do what I'd like it to do. Right. So that's the part that I fill in uh, with, with, uh, with people that can perform those tasks that are difficult for me. Amazing. And how about, I know you've shared this with me, sometimes even that realization that, you know, you still are you, even though you're a different version of yourself, accepting that you're still you, but in a slightly different way. Yes, I am still me, and I feel more me from the moment I accepted mm -hmm. my restrictions. I accepted the challenges and put them to good use, uh, transformed something, all the bad stuff that happened in my past to something good in the present. Mm. So that is, helps me to accept the disease of, of, of Parkinson, which is not easy for anyone. But right. if you accept your challenges and find ways of dealing with them, then you are a new you. Not better I love or worse than you. I love that. And, you know, that's a really important point for parents out there, whether you are a parent with a disability or you're raising a child with a disability. I think sometimes we shy away from the idea of acceptance. And we think that when we accept something, we're accepting limitations. But to me, you know, when working with Maria and hearing Maria speak, acceptance is not about accepting limitations, but accepting the fact that we need to approach things from a different perspective, right. perhaps yeah. complete things, doing something differently, accommodating. We talk about accommodating for children at school, accommodating when we're teaching our child maybe to tie their shoelaces. And so this is self-acceptance and this desire and need to grow and fulfill our dreams, you know, is is wonderful because with acceptance comes the ability to grow. Wouldn't yeah. you say, Maria? Lu Lucia and Maria, yes. I just yes. have to say, I think that yes. that's tremendous because a lot of time you think about, oh, a limitation. It's those terminologies that that I've noticed you're, you're getting away from. You, mm -hmm. It's finding a way around. Yeah, yes. assess that I have this issue. I have this limitation yep. due to my circumstance. I'm finding a way around it. And I, I really like us speaking in that way because it's too easy to say, you know, oh, I, I can't do this or I uh, this gets in my way. There's no way I can accomplish that. And yet there are ways. It's a different way. It looks different. Yes, Sorry, I love I that. It is, right? It is different. And sometimes it might not be easy 
But just because something is not easy to do does not mean it's not worthwhile. I know that Maria's journey, Maria, if you don't mind me sharing, took two years. It took two years to accomplish. But in the end, I think, Maria, you, you can, you know, share to this too. You became a much stronger version of yourself. The confidence, the pride that grew and developed as you accomplished that goal and wrote The Miracle Cat was phenomenal. And, you know, originally when we spoke about doing this, um, about having you on, you know, it was you didn't want to appear on camera, whereas now it then developed into I'm fine. I accept myself. I'm an amazing person. I can appear on camera. I think that's a huge accomplishment. Thank you. You're very welcome. Do you want to share any final words? I just want to send a message to those who share what so-called restrictions to Mm -hmm. face them in a new light. It's opportunity. You will grow as a result of it. As you establish new ways of dealing with it, you experience the growth. And what I noticed too, that is actually quite comforting is the friends and people that I surround myself to, they find it as opportunity to grow too. Because they, they, they be they being part of the process. Yes. You're such an inspiration and a motivation. I truly hope our audience comes away today and thinking that not only are they capable of fulfilling their dreams, but that they can help their children to fulfill mm-hmm. their dreams as they go forward in life. Well, I sure. appreciate that, um, Lucia, you mentioned that Maria's dream took two years because I think part of yes. this understanding is that mm-hmm. self-compassion and empathy about this being a process, right, Maria? Like, you have to kind of That's trust right. in the process, and that process, you all the time don't have the access to when you're going to get to the dream part, to the... To the um, like completion? Oh, yeah the completion but yeah. also the the encouragement of it right the mm. self-encouragement part because you don't always see the light at the end of the tunnel and you gotta yes. gotta go through the building of strength day by day so maria like kind of a follow-up question to to how long it took you how long had you been wanting to write this memoir like when was it an actual idea for you it it was since uh 2010 Wow. When mm. when uh, a little kitten, my miracle cat, showed up in my backyard and became part of my life and his unconditional love mm-hmm. allowed me to face my past, all the traumas, yes. all the happenings. So wow. from, from that time, um, coincidentally, my mother passed away on the day of my birthday in 210, mm. around the time that she sent me Leopardo. Uh-huh. So since then, and I had shame associated with sharing my traumas and happenings of the past, and I had to deal with it and was thinking of writing the book under a fake name and then realized actually with the support of a, of a friend that said, you hide all this all your life and now you're going to take a fake name. So I took my own name my identity to create, to deliver sincerity, credibility. It's my name and Leopardo's name in a book, nobody else's. Right, right. Uh, And that's the way, because Maria, as you mentioned, 
the past, the things that make us kind of like, oh, I want to leave that behind. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to deal with it. They've been some empowering things along with the supports from, you know, the, 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 the friends, the people, the help, Kath, everything has, has really built to give you that strength that so many people admire because you can take it the right way where some of us, we may get support, a pat on the back and not really know what to do with it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it takes yeah. a lot of patience. And it does. I think we can be very, very impatient when we're frustrated. With ourselves. Yeah. With ourselves. Yeah. Or we don't have that sounding board, right? Like you've yes. shouted out so many people, Maria, who have helped you through this process in different ways. And you can kind of remember now um, how people have helped you along the way now that you are where you are with the memoir being released. But during those times, sometimes we don't even know what we need, as you said, Kelly, and yeah. the people who are there who can sit in the mud with us or give us words of encouragement or say, hey, how about this? Try this as a as an opportunity or solution. It, it, all all of those little things and and all those people help us through the process yeah and we That's empower right. them you empower yeah, those people course. that's why they're sitting there saying what do you mean put of your name course. on it because of the way they yeah. view you um mm -hmm. lucia we'll hand it to you for final words well i'm just going to say that um absolutely maria is such an inspiration and not only was she empowered but then she empowered me to write a children's story Lovely. that was based on her on her memoir and it's for children and um you know it, so this is not about me it's really about maria and fulfilling your dreams and understanding that sometimes it takes us a while to fulfill those dreams and we might fall something that maria didn't you know talk a lot about was there were times when we were working together that we had to pause and that pause sometimes was 15 minutes sometimes it was days and i want everyone to know out there that that is okay that's part of the process part of the journey but the important part is we eventually maria went back to it and you and the keep going back that perseverance and that determination and that self-love and that self-acceptance will get you to that cross line and we'll get you to the finish line and we'll help you to achieve whatever your dream might be well thanks lucia. we gotta say thank you to you lucia maria both of you very inspiring and and giving us a lot of food for thought good luck ladies thank take you thank you both thank you thank you very thank much you. bye everyone we talk we talk parenting uh, once a month here on the program when Lucio Belafonte joins us. We do this on the first Tuesday of the month. Well, they mentioned children's books, and books. Uh, now oh, yeah. with Dave Brown on tomorrow's show is going to mention children films. We're going to find out what they have in store for us uh, when we tease tomorrow's show after the break. Also, if you ever wonder what the difference is between collecting and hoarding, I got you covered from something I've read. That also after the break on Kelly and Ramya. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. with us for a couple more minutes as we wrap up the show here a reminder if you're not already listening on podcast to the show we are available on demand uh we 
upload daily when we have our live show and then we go up on podcast platforms, whichever one, your choice. And we have the separate audio for um, different segments of the show, easier to share, easier to listen, but also the full show podcast goes up as well with a vanity card on the end. It's kind of a get to know you session with one of our team members and they pick whatever topic they like. Kelly, are you on today? Uh, yeah. Okay. Today, yesterday, tomorrow, and then a couple from you. <laughs> Okay, great. So I just say that publicly week. so we make sure yours come <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah, I got it. It's in my calendar. Thank you. Thursday, uh, Friday, uh, Ramya. <laughs> Tell us what's coming up on Now with Dave Brown. That's, of course, our morning show live on AMI-tv, Monday to Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Those guys also available via podcast in case you want to just listen to a bunch of them. But let's look ahead to tomorrow. Contributor Emily Shevers will be talking about the research paper she's working on examining disability representation in children's films. It's RSP season and financial planner Ryan Chin discusses how financial planning goes further than the uh, investment portfolio and could even include life insurance plans. Our community reporter, Milena Kavanovichus from Halifax, will talk about As We Rise, a photography from the Black Atlantic exhibit at the Dalhousie Arts Centre. She'll be uh, talking about the accessibility of, and accommodations available to us uh, at the exhibit. So lots going on tomorrow on lots. Now with Dave Brown, starting at 9 a.m. right on AMI-tv. Looking forward to that chat with Ryan and another chat with Ryan maybe later in the day on our show. Mm, very curious. Really? I double. think so. I think it's double, double chin. dipping. Does that sound right? Mm. Mm. Double chin tomorrow. Oh, God. Okay. Um, I did not approve that message. Okay, so <laughs> we are sure going you did. It's to written right here in your script. <laughs> tell you. I don't know why you do that and get me in trouble. Uh, here's a question we can move on to. The Aren't difference between collecting and hoarding. Okay, maybe you're a collector, maybe you're a hoarder, maybe you don't know where that fine line is being drawn. Uh, this is a response to that question from BBC Science Focus magazine. Why do we like collecting things? Terence Wilkins sent this via email. So, Terence says, one important reason why people collect is because it's fun. No matter what else is going on in your life, from difficult relationships to unsatisfying jobs, if you're a collector, you can set yourself clearly defined, attainable goals. You can also enjoy the hunt as you search for the next item on your uh, wish list, and then have that thrill of adding it to your collections, which you can then showcase to others. So that's a cool vibe. I agree with that. The social side of collecting is also key to it appeal. Collectors often uh, join forums and communities and share knowledge or compete with each other. That's a good point, which fosters a sense of belonging. The internet has made it people well, easier for people to thrive, and collecting can also be an expression of other forms of belonging. Other collectors are motivated by nostalgia, whether collective or more personal. For instance, people who collect particular Items from the past are often driven by the notion that they're uh, preserving notions of bygone eras. Other psychologists, if you're going to get really deep, argue for even deeper psychological motives behind collecting. They say the collection can act as compensation for a lack of loving human relationships, or it's a way that people cope with existential anxieties. The collection lives on even as we leave. Wow, that's pretty morbid. But hoarding... Here's the comparison. On the other hand, to keep it brief, it tends to be uncontrolled, problematic, and indiscriminate, and is uh, recognized actually as a psychiatric disorder. So, 
There you go. The next time we have our collections and copies segment, which is set for next week, you can uh, pay attention to the finer details of collecting versus hoarding. Mm, interesting. And make the difference, right? Yeah, and make the difference for yourself. Um, tomorrow, coming up on Kelly and Rumia at 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv, we have TV Talk with Greg David, and he's featuring the Canadian version of the Japanese show Old Enough. This is following toddlers through childhood development, and I'm really looking forward to what's coming up there. Ramya teed it up a little while ago. What are some good things to know about using a credit card? On our finance chat tomorrow with Ryan Chin as he's giving us a double shot. <laughs> Tune back in 2 p.m. Eastern on AMI-tv for Kelly and Ramya. So, folks, you know I'm a huge opponent of people being able to hybrid from home or work from home. It's one of those things that I've dealt with and been interested in doing for years. Now, again, for those of you who don't know my history with AMI, I would commute forever back and forth from London to Toronto. When I first started, there was the possibility of an office opening in London. So my family and everybody that I love in London... I kept hanging on and working and striving to be able to run said office, if it could be. Things change as they do over the years, and I end up starting to do television work, which allowed me to work a few days a week from home. And that was absolutely wonderful. But when I had the opportunity to work out of London all the time, the offer of setting up a studio here, which now has, of course, evolved into a little TV space for us to do my portion of the show from, and... One of the things I got asked that, hey, if you're not, and this was by the London people, if you're not in Toronto all the time, do you miss out on things? Well, obviously you feel separated from your coworkers, so there's a bit of synergy. But I mean, our team's pretty great that way. But beyond our team, yeah. Yeah, you know, the people I kibitz with in the hall, I would get up so no one would find me and roam around from my desk so that if I, they needed something, they had to track me down. If they So they must have really needed me bad enough. <laughs> I'd go and take a break and wander every hour or so um, when, I, when I had time to do so. But, yeah, so you do miss that. You do miss those people. Uh, I don't know if I need to see them five days a week, and I certainly know they don't need to see me five days a week. <laughs> What other thing I was asked that I would miss was kind of an odd one. I mean, I had the opportunity to be on the red carpet, crazy thing at the, the film festival in Toronto, work with the Toronto Blue Jays, and I really enjoyed that component. Work with the Raptors as a sports fan, uh, those things were awesome. Ru film my own TV series in Blindsided when, when I was doing that and being out in the field and traveling. Did all that. Got to go on the road, which we still do and did at the time before I moved permanently back into London with Kelly and Company and now working towards that with Kelly and Ramya. It's great to go and talk to people, such as what we do with the W. Ross students recently, but the gang got to be part of a tour, and that is one of the things I've always missed. I remember sitting there years ago, and suddenly... I was being introduced to somebody from the CRTC who was there for a tour, one of the commissioners, or some other potential um, donator, sponsor back in the day, somebody that wanted to get involved somehow, a potential reader when we had readers. But as things evolved, you just never knew who was suddenly going to show up. You never knew 
who might want a tour of the place and what you might be asked or your role in that. And the gang got to do that with the one of the Toronto CCB chapters recently. And I knew they'd have a great time. And I think out of the things that I would say that I miss not working in Toronto, that would be it. But do me a big favor. Don't tell anyone because I have to be that staunch. Nothing like working from home. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.